cabin fever. We've swapped from hunting animals here at Waypoint and we were hunting the most elusive critter in the woods and that is a good hunter and we've been doing that by scouring the sports shows, most of them on the east coast and we're going to break down on this podcast maybe some tips and tactics and to booking a hunt and do's and don'ts and we're going to we're going to meet a new new guest, Jay Bird's love. And we can go around everybody and introduce yourself that's here. Morgan, I'm back. Lydia. I'm Jay. Jay Bird Bushman. You go ahead and tell us a little bit about you. You've you've did some guiding. Um, that's how you and Jay met, correct? So I met Jay through um, a friend of mine who was also a guide, um, and she's a backcountry cook. I went to go to visit and uh, met Jay and that kicked everything off. So where are you originally from? Originally from Maine. Uh, I moved out here when I was 18. I went to Dillon, University of Montana Western. Um, I was there for five years. And then I drug her to the mountains. Sure did. Jay swept her <laughs> off of her feet. So you're a Mainiite. Yep. So yeah, rugged country. What, what part? East, west, south? Uh, like the southern, so southeast. Okay. Yep. About 30 minutes inland. Did your family do a bunch of hunting and things in that? Yeah, um, so my dad hunted um, my whole life growing up. It was like my dad, my cousin, um, my uncles, everybody. They'd always meet up at our house and head out from there. I was you know, always around it, never really went with them, but was definitely there when they got something and brought it home. Uh, going to the weigh station with them, processing it, all that. So the check-in, there's check-in stations in Maine, correct? Correct. So you got drugged to the check-in stations when you were little? Yeah. Me too. So they had check-in stations when I was growing up in Maryland and in West Virginia, and that, that was always interesting. Yeah. I missed that part of it. I wish I could take my boy down to the local check-in stations and hear all the old stories. It's a big part of it, I think, that people are missing out on. We do it all on the internet now, and everybody, they'd stack their buck up on like a spare tire or a cooler in the back of their truck. That way it looked bigger when they were wheeling it into the check-in station. There'd yeah. just be dudes hanging out. That's interesting. Also pulling down, this is not hunting related, but you guys did some oxen, pulling with oxen. That's like big in that part. Yep. Um, so I grew up in 4-H showing, um, we call them working steers. Uh, and so we'd use them to, you know, haul carts, logs, um, plowing, all those different things you can do with them. Yeah. So being with those animals, that probably rolled you over to packing and that, how you were yep. helping out with the outfitting industry, guiding. Yep. You got it. What did you go to college for? I went for, uh, it's called natural horsemanship. You know, we did equine science. We would ride for you know, the better part of the day, starting colts. We, I brought my own horse from Maine with me and just worked on fine-tuning her. So then how did you get into guiding? I don't know, a couple years later. After meeting Jay, I moved from Dillon up to northwest part of Montana. The place that I signed on for for the summer and fall needed someone to tune up their horses. It's perfect for Lydia. So she went there, got on with that. And I don't know, it was like, uh, I was bear hunting or something. And yeah, you you're like, I'm there. working for the season. <laughs> and a couple of days of working there and they just hired her on. They have a bunch of stock. Main yeah. operation, running yep. stock. Yep. You got hired on a, the outfit for horsemanship. Yep. Okay. And then did you start guiding hunts? Yeah. So um, I'd say it kind of rolled into packing. Um, and then we lost one of the crew members and not, I mean, he's still alive, he's out there, but like he quit in mid-season. Um, so that left, you know, the outfit are high and dry for one more guide and they asked me if I wanted to do it and I accepted. 
All right. So how many years did you work? How help them out? We just did the one season. Okay. Um, yeah, but I mean, it was it was great. I loved it. I learned a lot. Were I you successful? Um, I got two different clients on wolves, um, but no, they didn't take the shot. It's pretty rough hunting. Where, what part of the country were you at? Over in the Bob. Yeah, so southern end of the Bob. Yeah. And That's the word I was looking for, the Bob. <laughs> yeah, the Bob. And this area was pretty cleared out. Um, there had been a recent fire, so there wasn't a lot of growth, not a lot of animals around. It was a boneyard for wolves. I mean, we in, in total killed one bull and one bear uh, for the whole backcountry rifle season. And that was, like, um, right off the bat, like first people out of the gate yeah and then it, then it was i mean it was dead uh i didn't hear a single bugle a lot of it had to do with the clientele though too don't want to make excuses or anything but the outfitter themselves didn't really set up anyone for success we had a lot of really interesting characters that one guy yeah he caught us 10 on fire maybe three times Sheesh. Yeah, that wasn't even the major ten fire that year. It was a disaster. Well, that kind of goes to what we were what we were talking about that we wanted to get into on this podcast. This success mentality of hunters coming into it. We had a great year. We were very very thankful for the clients that we had, and they they come prepared uh, for the most part. They put out the effort, and that's what it takes. It's hard to find a perfect client. I, I've been doing this for quite some time and I can I can name off quite a few good clients, hardcore hunters that were knowledgeable and they were just using us for us knowing the landscape and they already had a feeling for the quarry that we're going after. So it was like a partnership. And then when you get those guys, you can really scour the country, go at it hard. Hunt the way that you want to hunt. Yes. And not be restricted by any means. Um, but there's no way to get in shape for the mountains unless you live in them, period. And there's no way that you can get ready for the amount of energy that you're going to put out on an elk hunt if you're dead serious about it. You're just going to push yourself to limits, and that's what it's going to have to take. But a lot of that is all on the outfitter Yeah. also. I mean, we go to these shows, and we talk to hundreds and hundreds of people. We're preparing our clients by being completely honest with them whether they can do it or can't do it and we've had to turn a couple people away but the problem is it is outfitters not explaining their hunts correctly uh putting all of that on the guide and also clients um, need to know what what questions to ask to kind of make sure that not only financially is the hunt right for you, but also the terrain, the people you're hunting with, and what you're wanting to get out of a hunt. Yeah, if you only care about what the success rate is, especially when you're at the shows, and that's, would you say that's like the number one question that you could ask? It's top, within three questions of being asked, that'll be one of the top three that they might ask you what state, and then the next one's how many people do you take, and what's your success rate? If that's all you're asking over and over and not really digging into anything else, what do you think that not so good outfit's gonna do? They're gonna just feed you what you wanna hear because they're there to sell hunts. Yeah. If someone wants to pass you an elk on a silver platter when you're going to sign up, they're lying to you. So I came up with an actual chart. It breaks down every single opportunity, what our rating was, Overall, last year, I believe it was, um, I know that for a fact it was 74% for elk and archery season. It was 38% for elk and rifle season, and we were at like 
66 or 67% for mule deer in rifle season. But then we instantly go into how we came up with that number. Some guys got multiple opportunities. Some guys got zero opportunities. The one week we had 110% honest opportunity. So I broke that week up and I looked, every single guy in camp had already been on an elk hunt, had already been with an outfitter before. They knew what to expect. Some of them were in Western hunting. So that week, because all those clients just happened to be in that week, it made the, the rating so much more successful. The next week after that was a lower percentage and it was guys that had never been out here. They were younger, 18 to 21 years old. They had never been out West. Um, so the percentage went down. So when you're asking that question, it's, it would be better to gear it towards what kind of clientele do you book? That, those kinds of questions. And that will really help you pinpoint the best outfit that's going to um, cater to what you're expecting out of a hunt. Because what you expect out of a hunt might not be what someone else is wanting. Yeah, and no outfitter is going to make that number extremely low. I hate telling I'm 38% in rifle season, but it is what it is. It's an honest yeah. answer. And the fog rolled in for two whole weeks and that was rough hunting. And I mean, there's just so many variables that you have to take into consideration whenever you ask that specific question. What were the numbers across the Rockies? And it was broad, broad general tags. Yeah, broad general tags, like over-the-counter tags is about 10%. And even with special draw units that are considered trophy units, you're at maybe 30% success rate. So that's not super high success rates. So if an outfit has above a 50% honest opportunity rate they're probably busting their balls if they're being honest about it they're probably getting after it because it's not an easy animal to go after they think it's like we're putting an eastern deer drive on like we're going to be have to worry about how we're going to get all these dead bodies out of the woods at night it your dead body and my dead body from pursuing these elk all day that might be it but it's a celebration to kill one of these animals and if you want to do anything to increase your chances on going on any hunt anywhere you need to prepare yes it's on you your guides know the area and they're willing to do anything to make it happen for you but if you're not prepared when you come out here it's going to lower the chances not saying that it's going to you know stop you from doing it but it's definitely going to lower the chances and put you in that lower bracket yeah so let's go around the table and go over just one quick thing that pops into your head whenever um you're telling someone to prepare for a western hunt I like to have them ride a bicycle. I don't, because they can blow their heart rate up to 190. It's very easy. Uh, they don't have to have mountains. They can do it in 20 minutes in the evening on their street with a mountain bike. Put the, make the gears so it's very hard to pedal and strain yourself out because that's what it's going to be like. Say you're sitting there and you're just laying around on the mountain like a slug. That's what you do and you're glassing and it's, you're like, I thought Western hunting was hard. And all of a sudden we put eyes on an animal and it's mad rush. We're trying to get over there where we have to sometimes beat the light. Some, yeah, there's a whole bunch of variables, but then you're going to be rushing into that situation, blow your heart rate up, and then you have to calm back down. So if you start to be able to control your heart rate once it gets very, very high and you can manage that multiple times it doesn't fatigue your muscles because once your heart is fatigued it just your brain says that the rest of the muscles are shot also so that's what i think to do it's simple it's easy i like to go on a mental discipline kind of thing 
here. Uh, Lydia can attest to this, but I would say run with wet shoes. There's nothing more terrible <laughs> than that's, knowing that you're about to go fact. on a mile run and you just soaked your shoes. I, as weird as it sounds, uh, it, being able to get in that kind of mental grit of just kind of, I don't know how, how to say it, but it, it's just a, a this sucks mentality and I'm going to love every second of it. That will help you go a long way on a hunt. I definitely agree with like the mental factor and pushing through stairs and really helped me like getting on those stair machines or just doing stairs or finding the biggest hill around you and suffering through it. Um, I'm going to say to prepare with the weapons that you're coming out here with. We always say to find as many obstacles that you have to lift your knees over. Don't go out there without your bow or your gun. Make sure that you have all the accessories that you are going to wear on your hunt. That way um, you can fine-tune your gear before you get out here and you can feel a lot more comfortable whenever you're preparing. Don't, don't be the guy that shows up that only takes his gun out right before hunting season, shoots it a few times, checks his group, and calls it good because when it comes down to it and you're in a completely different element than what you're used to, something's going to happen and you're not going to make a good shot. I mean, we, we saw that all through archery season. Take that weapon everywhere to lunch, to breakfast, to dinner, to bed with you. Go up on the mountain fast for five days and meditate holding that sucker. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, for real. I mean, you, you spend a ton of money. Sometimes this is like people's once-in-a-lifetime hunt to come out here. I would say, too, um, like if, you're, if you know you're going to be horseback, I've seen a lot of people um, shut down because... You know, they couldn't handle being sore afterwards or I mean and it's it's muscles that you don't normally use unless you are riding and, and it can hurt you real bad and pull you out of the game. I could definitely say something with that as well and on the booking side of it if you think that you're gonna get away from the physical side of it by taking a, a Montana Wyoming whatever horseback hunt that you don't realize how long eight hours actually is in the saddle if you don't think that you can mentally handle that get to the place and turn around and then hunt for the week the horses can only go so far they can't take you everywhere they can get you in deep and they can get you up the trail on a lot of the hunting trails but then from there that's when the hunting starts and the terrain just gets a little steeper and harder to maneuver or we'd bring the horses up there too <laughs> yeah yeah and eight hours in a saddle um if you are not experienced in that getting up the next day and getting back in that saddle hurts really bad yeah. Yeah. so you want to be prepared and that's so we'll just jump right into some questions that you need to ask outfitters and make sure that you get an honest answer and by getting an honest answer it is very easy ask for references if they give you four or five, um, you'd be able to start poking holes in stories um, and social media. Social media doesn't lie. Rock Slide Forum is a great place to look um, if you're just feeling uneasy before booking a hunt. So what do you think is an important question to ask? Keeping an open mind and you know, maybe you hunt in one part of the country and you're gonna come out here and you, you think I got this, I've been hunting my whole life, but even if you have, you haven't hunted here your whole life. You haven't you haven't done this area or the habitat. Um, so just keeping an open mind and learning from those people and not showing up thinking, you know, I'm gonna 
I'll show these guys how I hunt. Yeah. <laughs> um, ask a knowledgeable question about elk. Unless we keep saying elk, I mean, it could be a broad range of animals you're pursuing. But let's just say elk. If that guy doesn't know elk and how to talk elk and speak elk and set up an archery setup by looking at the land features, how is he going to have much success rate? Uh, it's, there's not going to be a success rate, so you don't even have to ask that question if the guy doesn't know anything about habitat. And if he eyes don't light up and he doesn't start feeding you some of that stuff right from the get-go, trying to show you that he's knowledgeable about it, they're, they're, they're right there. You can shoot a hole in that one right off the get-go. Ask a habitat question. Maybe ask something about elk. Maybe a noise they make. We, I tell clients to ask if cow elk bugle. And people, they think I'm joking. They'll laugh, right? When I say that, I'm like, no, seriously, cows bugle. They'll use it to round up the herd here and there. They'll go ask other outfitters, and they'll laugh at them, too, because they think it's a joke. And then they come back to me, and they're like, all right, we're booking. Yeah, definitely. Kind of the piggyback off that is, like, seeing if they truly have a passion, you know, about what they're talking about. I mean, I know it's the show season. They're miserable. They've talked to 4 billion people. But if they really do care they're going to spend the time to talk to you about that type of stuff you know one thing that i have never heard anyone ask is if they can speak to one of our guides which i think would be so helpful i mean obviously i don't want to bother the guides on their days off or anything but to just call one of the guides and ask okay i talked to the outfitter the outfitter is obviously this is his livelihood but i want to talk to a guide, I want to see how they can hunt or if they can vouch for that the whole team hunts the same way because that is a really good asset to have. And the guides are part of a team and if right off the bat the outfitter is not comfortable giving you guides information, Facebook information, messenger or something like that, then it almost shows that they don't work together as a team unit. Right, and they're not, if they're not open to you know, references and, and things like that. They're hiding a lot of stuff. I've seen it, you know, Lydia and I both have, have seen really bad outfits and really good outfits, and it's not hard to tell if they're trying to hide something, which coming from the outside could definitely be if you've never experienced a hunt and haven't seen how people act in the industry. Yeah. Don't let some big glamorous show display draw you in i mean there's taxidermists that go around to these sports shows while we'll be setting up and they'll come around and they'll be like we have such and such mounts to rent um you're welcome to rent them what kind of animals do you hunt in your area we have a mule deer and this size mule deer costs this much to rent the mount and you can put it up in your show display that is a crock of shit there's a lot of smoke and mirrors it's it blew my mind whenever <laughs> i found that out I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me. It's a lot of people just trying to make money with, like you said, it's smoke and mirrors. They're, they're scamming the shit out of you. Yeah, they are. And it's very hard for the good ones out there or the ones that are trying to be because people have been screwed over. Been burnt hard. Burnt up. That's why you see DIY stuff taking flight so much right now. Yeah. Like, Lid, you could kind of jump in on this with your clients where they had basically were told that they were going to be guaranteed an elk like they've been hunting by themselves <laughs> yeah. haven't been able to kill an elk and basically been told that they're guaranteed an elk because they're going with a guide 
but then they come with the mentality of I'm not going to listen to the guide at all and do my own thing. Who knows if we would have had a chance anyway, but we definitely didn't because he, you know, went just walking around into his bugle tube. He was just chuckling the whole time. And <laughs> we kept saying, you know, I like, should... that's, like, no, like, we shouldn't be doing that right now. Like, you know, don't do that. And it's just, he just completely didn't listen to me and the entire time he just kept doing that. And, you know, he knew, he knew what we were doing and, and where we were going. And Like, on, on their expectations, like, what, what would you say when they first got there, like what their expectations were gonna be like dur during that hunt. I mean, it was a mess anyway, to begin with. They'd been told a lot of different things about where we were going. They asked specifically, is this a burn area? And they were told, no, well, the whole area we were in was a burn area. Like, why would you and, lie about that? Right, so I mean, they were already, as we're riding in, you know, they're not stupid, they can tell and, and see it all. And so they're already mad. And I don't know if it's because of, you know, they're starting to see all these different red flags and all the things that they were told are falling through. Um, and so I don't know if that's why they were like, no, we're not going to listen to you, or if that was just kind of their mentality anyway. But they were dead set on they were going to do this their way, and it did not work out for them. Explain as a guide how you tried to make it better. It's not like you can just pick up and leave. We're, we were like, what, 20, 22 miles in, in the yeah. backcountry? I mean, it's not like you can just huff off, you know, all mad to your truck. It's like, no, you're here and you're stuck here. Yeah, he was kind of blowing me off and the things I was trying to tell him, but they're here. They've paid to be here. Let's have a good time. And, and we did. I think we did. I mean, there was definitely some like hard moments to get through, but it's just whatever. Like they're here to have a good time. One thing to think about when you're doing these backcountry hunts, tent hunts, when you're, you're stuck in a few canyons is what it basically is. And I get asked, and anybody, probably any outfitter or guide that's working a sports show, when was the best weeks of the bugle? They, they think it's like a light switch that we turn off and on. It is not. It's different. It's herd specific. Each herd, we can get elaborate in this, but like if you're stuck in a couple canyons and there's no cows in heat, you're not going to find no bugles. You're going to have to hunt quiet elk, so you're going to have to change tactics. You just have to keep that in mind. Awesome experience going into tents and that, but you are going to be stuck in a location. Yeah. I feel like that's why we do better in our area because if we put all our eggs in one basket and spent the entire week in, in one area, it could be difficult for certain clients that say can't get around very good. Exactly. We, we're, we're only hunting the same few ridges and not being able to push into maybe where the elk are or maybe we bumped them out and now we need to go a little farther. If you can't you know, necessarily do that, you could think about trying to find an outfit that maybe does a little bit more you know, out of, out of a truck and a lodge and that's a little more mobile and can kind of move around and find the elk if, if you're really worried about getting on elk and, and being with them. I mean, the wall tent hunts are awesome and they're fun. really really fun experience there's nothing wrong with them at all and you want to you know obviously make sure you're going with a good outfitter and if that's the type of experience you want it's going to be an amazing time yeah but you have to ask all the right questions yeah. beforehand and also not only to put this on outfitters not being honest but as clients it really does help us to put you with a guide if you are completely honest with us. We have a couple older gentlemen that booked a hunt this year and they were 100% honest with us. The one is not able to make it around too much and we already know that. So it's on my cheat sheet. I have to pinpoint different hunts for him, 
put him with a guide that is able to go slower or accommodate him and his limitations. So him being honest a year in advance with us is very helpful to what is going to be his success in a hunt because now we're already scouting for his week of hunting that's coming up this fall. If you're dishonest thinking that an outfitter will put you with a worse guide or an outfitter would um they like, know you're not going to be able to kill anything so yeah. they put you with some dude that's subpar they're like hey i need to fill in so i need the packer dude you're going to guide this week can, can i stop you right there yeah, so hit it this is i am not trying to set up by any means but the fact that morgan is willing to think about that well in advance before the tags are even drawn you want to find that in an outfitter that actually cares about that and it's not the week that you show up there like josh said they're just like okay that guy lied to us he's diabetic and can't get around we didn't communicate he has no expectation of the area yeah, yeah that's what's uh, gonna happen uh, uh, most of the time it is I, I hate to say it but and then that's what sours people we're, we're gonna sculpt your hunt around your ability yeah. and it's gonna be a great experience no matter what and most outfitters are very able to do that if you're honest and that's what after um, clients are done asking me questions that's that's my first question what are you wanting to get out of this hunt and the perfect example is a younger guy very in shape but he wants to do a hunt with his older father who has limitations I already know this I know that his dad has limitations but he wants to hunt hard so what I'm gonna try and do is get with the guide in advance and be like listen is there a ridge you can set the father on so he can glass hike hard with the son like what can we do to make this hunt successful for both of them so that they can share the experience and it it is so much easier whenever I know that right off the bat well, we live with most of our guides. So I know each personality. I know yep. that some of our guides are hell hikers that want the harder hunts and all of that stuff. And we have guides that can take it easy or methodically work you through know, a place. They hunt, yeah. with, they hunt with their dad and that's the best hunt that they go on is whenever they're spending time with their family. So I, I would pair that hunt up because they get the correlation of how important that hunt is. So it's just, if you are super honest with the outfitter, they will be able to work around it if they're willing to. You can find out a lot about that just with, with the questions also that outfitters are asking you. But you should be paying for a customized hunt. Like you should be looking for a custom hunt. Yeah. And that is very easy to do. And with our outfit, we are public land hunts only um for mostly elk and deer we have the spring bear hunts and turkey hunts and th and the mountain, mountain lion and wolf uh, trapping yes and a trap line, yes which we was now have addition wolf trap experience and muzzleloader elk hunts yes late season elk we'll have more information on that but since we are only on public land and we can customize hunts easily if we have the information ahead of time. Those outfitters that have public land hunts and private land hunts, they should be able to work with you if you're honest. You're honest. Front, yeah. yeah. Don't sell yourself short. I mean, but be honest with what you're expecting and what you think you can expect out of yourself. Then you can kind of be comfortable in 
trusting this outfitter with what you want to do and, and what you expect out of a hunt. Yeah. So if you're that guy just snagging brochures and checking them out on the webpage, that's all cool. But you should stop and talk to outfitters. That way they can, you can kind of get a reference and they can kind of get a reference. It's a good icebreaker. We get it a lot of some shows. That's how everybody does it. And then it's hard for us to tell what kind of clients that we're going to get until we've already taken their money. And it might not be anything we, that they wanted to do. We had people, they, they got us confused with a um, private land hunt. It was at the Harrisburg show. There's just so many outfitters. It's so overwhelming at that show. And they had gotten us confused with another outfitter. We had talked to them. We thought everything was great. We <laughs> assumed they remembered our conversation. And they came, put a down payment in, got out here. And it was not anything that they thought it was going to be. And when we sat down and tried to fix the situation, they realized yeah. that they had put down, a down payment down with the wrong outfitter. They were fine with it. They the, were just yeah. concerned why there wasn't private land we were hunting. I was like, dude, there's no private land. No <laughs> private land. They were expecting a tree stand over a wallow hunt on a ranch type setup, which is perfectly fine. But when you come to Northwest Montana and you're hiking up steep grades and there is no tree stand in sight. It was just, it was a bummer for them. So we figured That's out funny. the problem <laughs> and they, they ended up enjoying their time anyway, but it's about the experience. And if you go into a hunt knowing that, then the success of a hunt will be a lot better for you because killing something is not going to be what is the success. It's going to be the memories you make, the test you put yourself through, the scenery you get to see, traveling, all of those things add up. And if you actually get to notch a tag, then that's just the icing on the cake. And if you go into it knowing that, then you're going to be able to just take everything in as a whole. For some guys, it's just overcoming something they didn't think that they were able to do. I mean, today I just got off the phone with my uncle and he's coming out in June to do a spring bear hunt with me. And he said that he doesn't care if he has to leave in a pine box, you know, to ship him back. Because it's just an experience that he's always wanted to do something like this and really looking forward to it. Yeah. And it's, it's six days. With our outfit, it's six days. Or if it might be five days. It is a very hard Thing to accomplish even when you're not putting that notch tag on the list of accomplishments. I don't get the suite of the success if it's easy. If you're given a participation trophy every time you go up, the championship trophy doesn't mean anything. And when you're hunting 15 to 20 year old elk in that herd, you're dealing with something that's very highly intelligent. It should be very difficult. It should be something that whenever you finally, you put your hands on that, whether it's big, little, whatever, it should be emotional. If you don't break down balling, I like there's something probably, you don't have a soul. And let's Stop. just get this right clear that there's no mountain that's too high for any person it's all mental fortitude an old person someone with worn out knees can go and kill an elk as long as they have the mental fortitude to suffer a little bit and that's what we're talking about we're not talking about you have don't have to be an olympic triathlon to come and do no. an elk hunt you just have to be mentally tough it kills me the guys that aren't mentally like thinking of all the fun stuff like they get to go completely out of the realm of a hunting place that they they might have hunted on their farm their whole life. They get to come out here, and that tag burns a hole in them so bad that they lose sight of the fun, mm -hmm. the hunt yeah. itself. And that's for an elk-deer combo. It's a spring bear and turkey hunt is right around the corner that starts for us um, 
first week of May. That hunt there is if you want to come out and you want to experience Montana, you want to see all the scenery and how beautiful it is in the spring, that is such a good hunt. We are always very excited about the spring bear hunts. It's just laid back in camp, very low numbers. The tags are over the counter. Um, we do have a higher success rate for bears and turkeys, so that does help um, keep spirits high. But it's just fun, and you get to go out, experience the landscape, see a lot of game. It's my favorite hunt of the year. It gets me out of the cabin fever brain. I'm very excited for spring bear season. And it's a good way to, to get your feet wet for an elk hunt. Say you're you're in preparation for an elk hunt in the future. That's a good way to go test the water with an outfitter for half the money usually. Absolutely. And that's, that's a really good point. Yeah. Now, if I had a great time and they had a good area and we seen animals um, and the people, everything was hospitable, everybody's great, now you can invest that extra three or four grand to go on that elk hunt because you know that you're going to get your money's worth and the gear you don't have to have near the gear on a bear hunt you brought up gear we need to go around that so it's time to start dialing in gear these hunts are in seven months yep so i'm not going to say a specific gear item anytime that you can get multi-use out of a tool or something that you have that's what you want trekking poles are multi-tools. You also have shooting stabilization, um, you have something, the glassing platform, and you have something to help you walk out, and after you are successful, hopefully, in killing an animal, there's knee savers. So that's three things for one item. Four, and fighting off grizzly bears from your kill. If you're Giannis Patalis. (laughs) Yeah. I'm gonna go right into, if you have a hunt booked or you're planning a hunt or anything like that, you should have your boots already. You should be wearing them day in, day out because blisters will stop your hunt. They will halt it instantly. It is a pain that will not go away in the six days of your hunt here. (laughs) Sorry. It's so elementary, but it ruins guys' trip. Oh, it does. I have seen so many people give up on Wednesday and Thursday just because of blisters on your feet. So buy the socks, merino wool socks, start wearing them, wear your boots consistently while you're hiking and everything to work if you're able to, just to get them as broken and as possible because you will still get blisters if you are not used to steep terrain because it will be touching other parts of your feet. As broken as they possibly can be, I cannot stress it enough. If you keep your core warm, you're gonna have an easier time um, keeping your whole body warm. I, I always put like a tank top on and then I, use, I, I'll put like a layer of wool and then a vest and just like protecting that area and keeping it warm. Like having yes. the right pack that fits you correctly. Yeah. yeah. And wear it. Because wear it. Yeah. Get yeah. used to it. Yeah. You're going to be miserable if you don't have that thing adjusted to you. And you're going to wear blisters on your shoulders mm-hmm. or on yeah. your back if, if you don't know. I mean, like, going back to Brock's first few pack outs, he didn't even know he could tighten his waist belt. Oh, no. And was packing the meat out like that, which, I mean, good on him. I couldn't have done that. <laughs> There's a lot of different things that you can do to make your life a little bit more comfortable working out, shooting your bow, shooting your gun with your bino harness on 
is very crucial as well because if you are getting used to shooting your bow without your bino harness and then you buy that just a couple weeks beforehand it's gonna feel odd it's it's gonna feel foreign so you need to get used to that now shoot in real life situations don't shoot in your backyard in your flip-flops right up until the hunt you need to put yourself in some weird offset positions and practice that and at least know what it does if you're shooting your bow or your rifle and know what you're truly capable of because in different situations you can prepare yourself for that and know that no I'm not going to make a good shot set up like this I need to move or adjust so that I am capable of making the shot if that makes sense yeah yeah that makes sense because it's not all it's not going to be flat ground it's not going to be perfect scenarios it's going to be off the wall scenarios you wouldn't think of and that's what you're gonna get thrown into so you want to be as prepared for that as possible if you're coming with the archery and you're not already been shooting your bow a couple days a week you're behind the ball in my opinion mm -hmm. it needs to that way whenever it comes down to crunch time you're not gonna be able to replay all these things in your head you're essentially gonna be shooting from the hip you're it's just gonna be muscle memory at that point and it should be if you've done it enough it, it'll happen for people that are coming out in rifle do not get used to shooting with sandbags and shooting benches but also um, preparing with your backpack don't be scared to be the weird guy at the range you might be weird that day <laughs> but you won't look so weird sitting in the grip and grin mm -hmm. you'll you'll be happy that you practice yeah. those shots yeah. and i i get it when you go to these places you don't want to be the guy that's got Sticking all out. his gear up <laughs> acting like a goofball at the range full-on hunting douche yeah it is what it is i mean do you want to be prepared or not yeah i mean that's that's what it takes i mean in the off season jay and i we can't go for just a normal hike he has to wear his or whatever weighted vest make it still measurable even when he's not you know having anything coming up yeah always stay ready yeah. never prepare for anything just be ready for it <laughs> jay stays ready all of this is on our gear list online that you can find um whether you're hunting with us or not it's just pretty well uh in-depth gear list uh and why we recommend that gear and we have also jay has started us a youtube channel you can see some of our mountain lion footage on the first episode but we're gonna have a video out hopefully by the time this podcast is out um kind of just a gear dump and going through each item to really narrow it down for specific hunts that you're coming out west to do. I think that pretty much sums it up in getting prepared, but we are going to start doing more of these podcasts um, to get our clients prepared and get anyone else out there that is going with other outfitters or on a DIY hunt. We also are looking for your feedback. Get Feel free to email us, uh, message us, comment on our stuff. If you have any questions or feel that we need to address something in future podcasts, we're going to try and get back on the every week schedule, uh, putting these out now that we're done with shows. And then um, we do want to mention that in previous podcasts, you heard about him and you heard his voice and his stories. Devin Hager was injured in a bull riding accident and he has been in the hospital for quite some time 
going through some extensive surgeries. So we are going to be putting on a fundraiser for him to help raise money to, to help him with the financial stress of not being able to work and also the hospital bills that are adding up. And we are going to be giving away elk deer hunt combo and we will be providing a link to that on our facebook instagram and all of our social media so we just ask help him out and donate what you can um, we'll have a lot more information on that okay well that's that's us we are over and out okay